Well, welcome to Daystar, everybody. We're so glad that you've come to worship with us today, and it is Baptism Sunday, which is always, always a big deal here at Daystar. In fact, we will baptize over 100 people today at all of our campuses, and so we are so excited. And if you're here, a guest of somebody that's being baptized, we're so honored that you would come. It means the world to them that you would come to support them as they take this big step to publicly declare their love, their allegiance, their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for being here. And I want to take a minute just to welcome all of our campuses, all of you at our downtown campus, our New Garden campus, our Northern Guilford campus, our Reedsville campus, and all of you that have joined us online. Thanks for being a part of our service. Well, today is Baptism Sunday, but before we jump into that, let me give you a little report from last week. You guys did so, so good last week at inviting your friends to church. We had record attendance again, over 2,500. We had 75 people last Sunday who checked B on the survey indicating that they are beginning a relationship with Christ. 75 people. That's awesome. That is so good, and, and, and what's so encouraging about that for me is I know that means your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, the people that you brought, man, they went from death to life, began a relationship with Christ, and will never be the same because you had the guts to offer a simple invitation, and it's changed their life and their eternity, and I'm so proud of you. Also, man, last week we had so many people at all of our campuses working so hard hard to make sure that we provided an outstanding experience for our guests, and apparently the, the experience was awesome because that's one of the reasons that people's defenses are down and they can open their heart to the Lord. So to everybody, all the A-teamers, and, and today we've got a lot of extra A-teamers serving to make Baptism Sunday uh, possible. So let's just put our hands together for the A-team, all of you that serve week in and week out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, we couldn't do it without you. Then last Sunday after church, we have a small group ministry here in the jail. And uh, Patrick Hayes, one of my good, my hunting buddies, he, uh, it was his week to go to the jail and do small group and he showed up and all the guys were watching a Cleveland game and he thought, well, they're not going to want to hear me talk if LeBron's on television. And so he just said to the guys, hey, I'm going to, we're going to have Bible study. We'll be over here in the room if anybody's interested. And he went over to the room and sat down, just kind of hanging out, waiting to see if anybody will come. And they're not coming and he's thinking, well, I guess I'll go home. <laughs> that was the end of it. But then all of a sudden, they just started trickling in one by one. He ended up with eight guys. He read through Isaiah 53, just talked a little bit about the Easter story, shared the gospel. And then he did an invitation like we do here on Sundays. He asked them to raise their hand. And all eight guys raised their hand, prayed to receive Christ. So last Sunday, 83 people, 83 people in the kingdom. What an amazing, what an amazing what an amazing day. Well, today you'll see people wearing these shirts that say, all in. 
And if you were playing poker, all in means you think you've got a pretty good hand. In fact, you're so convinced you've got a winning hand that you're going to put all your chips on the table. You're all in. You're willing to bet it all, to risk it all, because you're convinced your hand's so good, there's no way to lose. And when we say we're all in, when we apply that language to our relationship with Christ, we're basically saying the same thing, that we've got a hand, there's no way to lose, that we are convinced the Lord Jesus Christ is who he says he was. And so we are all in. Man, we're betting our life, all that we are, all that we have. We're, man, we're, we're not holding it back. We're not dabbling in religion. We are all in. We're convinced we can not lose. And we're all all in with Jesus, we can not lose. And really, baptism is an opportunity for us to publicly make that declaration. I am all in. I'm all in. If you remember from last week, we said baptism is to your relationship with Christ what a wedding ceremony is to your spouse, right? It's one thing to go on a few dates and maybe to take a vacation and to buy some gifts. It's another thing to stand up in front of everybody and say, for the rest of my life, I'm after this one woman. I'm all in. And today, it's, you know, it's one thing to come to church and to read your Bible occasionally and, and to have some relig a religious routine of some kind. It's another thing to stand up in front of the people that you know and love and to say, man, I am all in. I am pledging my life to Christ. That's what we're doing today. Now, here's a question. Why would anyone make such a big commitment to Jesus, a person that lived 2,000 years ago? Well, I don't know if you know this about Christ, but he was very unique, a very unique person in history. In fact, when you compare him, you stack him up next to all of the other religious leaders, it becomes very apparent he was very, very different than all the other religious leaders. For example, Jesus is the only religious leader who claimed to actually be God. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only religious leader who claimed to be sinless. He's the only one. Jesus is the only religious leader who claimed to have the authority to forgive sin. He's the only one. Jesus is the only religious leader who claimed to be the one and only way to heaven. Jesus is the only religious leader who claimed to defeat death and offer his followers eternal life. Jesus is the only one who claimed to offer his followers resurrection power. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. He's the only one. Jesus is the only religious leader who claimed he would come back one day. And so we're looking for him. We're expecting him at any moment. He's the only one that claimed that he would come back to take his followers home. When you compare Jesus to all the other religious leaders, there really is no comparison. He's in a category all by himself. The claims that he made about himself and the promises he made to his followers set him apart. They, the truth is, they were outrageous, outrageous claims. So the question is, how do we, how can we believe 
that a man who lived 2,000 years ago and made such outrageous claims, claims that no other religious leader in history would dare have the guts to make. How could we believe in a guy like that? Well, here's why. Because this is also unique about Jesus. is He's the only religious leader who predicted his own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, beginning in verse 3. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. When Jesus went to the cross and died, he died to pay for my sin. He died to pay for your sin. And listen, here's here's the bottom line. Someone's going to pay for your sin. So either I can reject Christ and pay the penalty myself, or I can embrace Christ and allow his death and resurrection to pay my penalty so that I can go free. That's good news, right? So Christ died on the cross to pay for our sin, just as the scripture says. Verse 4, he was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the 12, after that by more than 500 followers at one time. Most of them are still alive. In other words, you can go ask them yourself, though some have died. And then he was seen by James, his brother. Now, it's hard to convince your siblings that you're God, right? Just imagine trying to convince your brother that you were God. But after James sees the resurrected Christ, everything changes. He becomes a leader in the early church. He writes the book of James, a very practical and powerful book of the Bible. And then he says, after James, he appeared last of all to me. I was born at a wrong time, but I also saw him. Then he skipped down to verse 12. Paul makes this very clear. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. So all of the claims of Christ are validated by this one event, the death and resurrection of Christ. When Christ predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection, it gave credibility to every other claim he made. And because he's the only person to ever predict and pull off his death and resurrection, we've decided to place our faith and trust in him. We believe he's coming back. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, he said this, one day some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. In other words, Jesus, you're making these outrageous claims about yourself. You've got to do something to prove it. How can you expect us to believe such outrageous claims? But Jesus replied, an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I'll give them is the sign of prophet Jonah. 
For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus saying, the sign that validates all of my claims and my identity is my death and the resurrection. Jesus was crucified. For three days he was buried, but on the third day he rose again in power and in victory. And so we can trust him. In Luke 18, 31 through 33, the Bible says this, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He'll be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They'll flog him and whip him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Over and over and over again in the scripture, Jesus predicts both his death and his resurrection, which gives validity, gives validity to our faith. So now here's another question. How can we believe that a man died and rose from the dead when this happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, Alan, even if that's true, how could I today in 2015 believe in something that happened so long ago? How can we believe that? Well, you know, the truth is throughout history, many atheists have set out to discredit the Christian faith. And it always comes down to the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, man, you've got a problem. Jesus is Lord. If the resurrection is not true, just as Paul just said, then our faith is useless. And so in their attempt to discredit the the faith, they begin studying the resurrection. and, And over and over and over and over and over again throughout history, some of the most famous atheists have become Strong believers, because the evidence for the resurrection is so clear. Now today, we live in a world that, by and large, especially in Western culture, that has rejected the idea of absolute truth, has rejected Jesus as Lord and the only way to heaven. They've rejected, but listen, do not be deceived. They have not rejected him on the basis of evidence. They've not rejected him because there's not enough truth to support what we believe. In fact, I was reading this week a book called Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind, and and he makes it very clear. He says this. He says, listen, today, the evidence for God, the evidence for Christ, the evidence for the resurrection, the evidence for for the special nature of the Bible, the evidence is so overwhelming today. In science, in history, in archaeology, the evidence today is so overwhelming. He says that that atheists for the past 2,000 years, if they would have known what I know today, they would have all believed. The evidence is so overwhelming today that it takes more faith to not believe than to believe. It takes more faith not to believe than to believe. Jesus rose from the dead. He said, wow, how do we know? Let me give you just a couple pieces of evidence. Number one, we know from the eyewitnesses. In the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says Jesus appeared to Peter, to the 12, then to 500 people at one time, a big crowd, and then to his brother James, 
and to Paul himself. They were all radically converted because they had a face-to-face -face encounter with the resurrected Christ. These are, this is a group of people, the 12 who had abandoned Christ, the 500 who had crucified Christ, James, who thought his brother was crazy. Paul, who thought his brother was a troublemaker and he was doing all that he could to wipe the name of Christ off planet Earth. All of them, once they met the resurrected Christ, everything changed. The eyewitness testimony is so powerful. He said, well, maybe they just got caught up in this thing and they just thought they saw Jesus. They had an hallucination or something. There's no such thing as a group hallucination. 500 people at one time, the 12 disciples at one time. And this encounter changed everything. Here's the second big piece of evidence is the missing body of Jesus. Now, historically speaking, no one was ever able to find the body. He said, well, what's that? why is that a big deal? Because if Jesus, if we can produce the body, then obviously he didn't rise from the dead, right? That'd be the easy solution. And in Jesus' day, after his, after his death, the Romans and the Jews were very committed to ensuring that his body remained in the tomb because they knew, everybody knew that he predicted, I'm going to die, but three days later, death can't hold me. I'm coming back. Everybody knew. And so the Jews and the Romans conspired together. They put him in the tomb. They, 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 they closed the tomb with a large boulder. They sealed it with the Roman seal, which to break that seal and open the tomb, the penalty was death. And then they posted a Roman guard. They were going to make sure Jesus is not coming back. But three days later, the ground began to shake and the stone was rolled away and the angel of God showed up and that guard fell like dead men and Jesus was alive. He was alive. And the body has always been missing. Well, some people said, well, the body was missing because maybe the Romans took the body. No, the Romans wouldn't take the body. The Romans would love to produce the body to demonstrate that Jesus was not alive because it was creating a lot of political unrest in the Roman Empire. We said, well, maybe the Jews took the body. Again, if the Jews had the body, they would have produced it because the Jews felt like Christianity was a threat to their religion. Well, somebody said, well, probably the disciples, they snuck up at night. They stole the body. The thing that's ridiculous about this is that's the same group of men who have fled in fear. And now you're suggesting that they got a dead body. They know that Jesus is dead, and yet they spend the rest of their life preaching that he rose from the dead, even though they were killed for doing it. They were put in the arena and torn apart by lions for doing it. They were burned at the stake for doing it. Their family and children were murdered for preaching that Jesus was alive, and all along they had his dead body and knew differently. That's not reasonable to believe. His body is missing. Actually, his body's not missing at all. We know exactly where it is. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He rose from the dead and lives today. We don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve a Savior on the cross. Man, he's alive and well and seated on the throne. And one day we'll return in power and glory. Jesus is alive. 
And baptism's a picture of this. Here's the third little piece of evidence, and that has changed lives. In Romans 8, 15, the Bible says that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us and will give life to our mortal body. Jesus, man, he has given us power to live the Christian life. We are not defeated. We are not under the, the power of Satan anymore. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil so that we could live in freedom, that we could be transformed. In fact, the thing that's so beautiful about the new covenant is we're no longer in our own power and strength trying to follow a, a, a cold and dead law. No, now in the power of God, in the presence of God, man, we're running after him and he's transforming us and producing his life and character in us. Changed lives are the great evidence that Jesus is alive and well and living in me and living in you. The evidence is overwhelming. The question is, are you willing to humble yourself and believe? See, for most people, the problem isn't evidence. They've not read one book on the evidence. That's not the problem. For most people, let me show you the problem. For most people, this is the problem. That's hard to do. See, for most people, the problem is not in their head. The problem is in their heart. For most people, the problem is I, I can't find an argument. For most people... It's I can't find the humility to bow my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how foolish that is, because this is a God who loves you so passionately, is so determined to see you rise up and live into your redemptive purpose that he came and gave his life. He gladly died on the cross, and then he came exploding out of the tomb, defeating death and the grave so that we could live forever. It's that God that's asking you to trust him. It should really, it should be an easy thing. If we knew the love of God, if we knew the heart of God, we would gladly follow him. And so today, I want to give you a chance to follow him. I'm going to lead us through a simple prayer. It's not magic. It's just a way for you to verbally invite Jesus into your life, to trust him for salvation. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. Today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you need to know he died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. And if you'll just humble yourself and to receive, admit that you are a sinner and receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life to tell the Lord, God, I'm making you my king. If you're ready to do that today, God will forgive your sin, give you a fresh start, adopt you into his family, place his spirit in you, and you'll be an heir to the kingdom of God. We want to give you a chance to do that. It's not a trick. We're not going to call you up here to the front. I'm going to give you a chance right there in your seat to open your heart and trust in Jesus. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're ready to do that right there in your seat, all of you joining us online, those of you on the lower level, right there you can pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I realize today that I'm a sinner, but that you loved me and gave your life for me. And so today I'm humbling myself. I'm opening my heart. I'm inviting you to be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, teach me to follow you, to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, 
we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Thanks for checking out Daystar Church. We hope you've been encouraged and challenged to follow Jesus today. We love hearing about how God is working in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, please email us at mystory@daystargso.com. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved or support this ministry, please visit us online at daystargso.com. Thanks again, and we hope to have you back soon.